Hello and welcome to the first episode of Art Talk with Addie. I'm Addie Gay and I have with me some guests who will be discussing art and feminism with me. Let's begin by introducing everyone here. Hi, I'm Sarah Marie Rowan. I'm a senior at Appalachian State and I'm a studio art major and psychology minor with a concentration in painting. Hi, my name is Kirsten Staub. I'm a junior at Appalachian State University and I'm studying art history with a minor in French. Hi, my name is Ian Dawkins. I'm a local in Boone, North Carolina, and I am a poet and a musician as well. Hi, I'm Julia Yant. I'm an art education major at App State. I'm a senior this year and I'm focusing in fibers. I wanna thank you all so much for joining me today. I'm excited to sit down with people in my department and those I know just to chat about something we all have in common. I want to start us off by asking you all, do you think feminism has a role in the art world? Or to word it more clearly, do you think practicing art activism, specifically advocating for feminism and gender equality is an effective method of promoting feminism? I definitely feel that it is important in the art world, especially in the past, since the 1920s when feminist art was finally arising, especially because it is, we do have a canon of male dominated art and everything has been just created by men and men in the art world have been praised. So women standing up has been very powerful. Yeah, I agree 100%. Feminism is something that's been around for a really long time and it's still a thing and I don't think it will stop, like the movement will not stop um, until true equality. And I think it does have a growing place in the art world because I was looking at some statistics and according to the hyperallergic editor, 65 to 75% of students in MFA programs in the art field are women. So I think it's going to be a huge topic in the coming years. I think uh, a lot in the past um, about 20, 30 years, um, feminism and like music has grown into more of like a um, wider known topic or rather like widely expressed topic. Um, coming across people like Missy Elliott in the late 90s and early 2000s who subverted a genre of hip hop and took all of those topics that men would normally speak of and put it into the perspective of women. And now we have artists like Lizzo coming out in 2019 with her uh, project, Cause I Love You, um, with tracks such as Juice, um, being able to uplift women who may not be so much body positive about themselves. Um, I think this movement has been growing a lot and it has a lot more room to continue to do so. Um, I, I agree with all of that as well. I, <laughs> I think that feminism with a lot of things um, can be a controversial topic and art definitely has a place for that. And just kind of going off of like stereotypes in different art mediums and just kind of recognizing that the art world doesn't have to be male dominant. I know that modern day feminism can be a very heated topic in today's society, so I just want to thank all of you for your willingness to just sit here and engage with me in conversation about this. 
Um, I personally think that feminism does have a role in the art world and that it can create room for discussion. Um, just to give an example, um, my freshman year in college, I actually knew someone on my dorm floor who was sexually assaulted. Um, she had taken and used a rideshare app um, and from a party and sadly the driver then took her into her dorm room and proceeded to assault her. Um, and, you know, sadly for her, when she sought out help the police, she was asked these horrible and demeaning questions such as, well, what were you wearing? Were you a virgin? Are you sure you didn't ask for it? Just like kept going on. And I was just so mad that this had happened, you know, especially doors down from where I was staying and the police didn't care enough about us to protect us. Um, and I just kept thinking about it. And so for my art class I was in, I made a project of a man who was stripped down naked, wearing nothing but a policeman hat, aviator sunglasses, and a tie. And he was holding a sign that read, still not asking for it. And let me tell you, um, that was definitely a very heated discussion on presentation day, um, but I still don't regret it um, because whenever I was presenting this, all my classmates were instantly like, oh, you don't respect the police. What are you doing? Like, why are you showing a naked policeman? And what do you mean? Like, he's not asking for it. Um, and I was still thinking, I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, I switched the gender norms, you know? If that was a female on a podium, you know, stripped down naked, um, they would call her a, a slut and shame her and be like, oh, you're asking to be stared at, you're asking, you know, to be assaulted. But like, if a man works, walks around shirtless or in short shorts, or he's dressed quote, quote, provocatively, nothing really seems to happen to him. Um, and so I was just going on to talk about and voice my concerns that the police were not asking the right questions when dealing with victims and that no matter what someone is wearing, they do not deserve to be assaulted. Um, with all this being said, I do acknowledge that that is like a very heavy topic. So I want to switch gears and actually highlight some of the positive things when dealing with women in the art world. So I wanted to ask, who are some of your favorite women in the art world and why? Okay, so bouncing off of that, um, one artist that I think of when I think of female artists is Georgia O'Keeffe, who is recognized as one of the most significant artists of the 20th century because of her giant, large-scale flower paintings, cityscapes, landscapes, and then her images of skulls in the desert. And she, at her time, of when she was finally becoming more involved in the art world, she would, even now, people still debate on her fame and notoriety being due to Alfred Stieglitz, who was a notable art dealer and internationally known photographer. So she contacted him in 1916 and he exhibited her work. Later he became her husband, but most people accredit her the reason that she is who she is to him advocating for her art. And though she didn't claim to advocate for feminism in her art, 
her works, especially her floral works, are commonly associated with female anatomy and always. And so whenever her art was reviewed early and mid in her career, it was still very male dominated. All of femininity in art was determined by men. So many reviews of her art and femininity in it were very criticizing to her. And she really wanted to explore something about women that she felt only women could explore and said that when people read the erotic symbols into her paintings they're really talking about their own affairs and thinking about them and she became again like one of the most notable female artists in history so for her to be underestimated as an artist at the time was crazy and her fame i don't think was because of her husband yeah i'm glad you actually brought up georgia o'keefe specifically because I actually had the pleasure of viewing an exhibition at the North Carolina Museum of Art that was featuring her work. And I was so excited to get in there and to see her work. And it's funny you say that, like she doesn't actually see herself as a feminist artist um, and that it isn't that she's actually trying to paint female bodies because almost everyone you ask, the first thing you see is, you know, this female genitalia. And for me, what's crazy is when I was younger and I was first learning about who she was and her art form, I immediately assumed, I was like, she is a feminist. She is purposefully showing vaginas as these beautiful flowers. You know, she's incorporating it and she's wanting young women to feel good about themselves and like their body parts and like not be ashamed of like owning their bodies. Um, but it's just interesting to know that she's like so opposed to be like being considered a feminist artist. Um, I guess that's because of like the the connotation feminism has mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So I was actually um, at this beach trip with uh, a bunch of other women um, from my friend Megan who's getting married and she kept telling me, she's like, I am not a feminist. I was like, well, do you believe that all genders are equal and that, you know, men and women and everyone in between are fully capable of the same things in life? And then she was like, well, yes. And I was like, well, hon, that means, you know, you do believe in feminism. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, no, but I don't hate men. And I was like, feminism does not mean hating men. And then she was like, I also don't want to wear a pink vagina on my hat and like go march around in it. And I was like, we got into this conversation of is owning your body, is portraying your body, is showing your sexuality promoting feminism or is it like actually objectifying yourself and so we had this very long talk of just like what it meant to actually be a feminist what it actually meant to own your body um and at the end of the conversation i think i actually converted her i think we actually have one more feminist in this world thanks thanks to just open conversation. And that's why I'm so glad to just have all of you here today and just like talk about these because it's really important. Like, you know, it's something that gets oftentimes, you know, misconstrued and it's not a hateful thing. Um, 
it's just something that we're trying to do to fight for equality. Um, and that's something that women really have to reconsider that this is not, you know, something that's supposed to be hate-filled. This is not something, you know, that saying, oh, we hate men. This is not something that's supposed to be a separatist thing to where the women in the U.S. are having a different version of feminism and different that of, you know, Middle Eastern women or other women of color. Um, it is something that's supposed to be inclusive of all women, all fem-identifying people um, all over, which means when you're advocating for women, you are also, you know, advocating for women across the country. You are advocating for them to get an education. You are advocating for us to get equal pay. You are not just, you know, wearing a quote-unquote pink vagina hat and marching <laughs> around. You are not just saying you hate men. I think that's such an interesting topic that you brought up about your friend because I was the exact same way before I came to App. And I think it's honestly because I grew up in this super small town and it was pretty much run by what my mom called the good old boys. <laughs> and she, and I never really considered it um, as I was growing up, like it wasn't a thing as much in high school, like going through high school. Um, but I remember so vividly when my mom took me out to dinner one night, right after I'd switched to art history as a major. And she told me she was, she said, um, oh, Kirsten, you need to like watch out for the good old boys. And I was like, cause she had a, she was in a position of power in the town and she got a lot of flack. Um, and I think a lot of it was because she was a woman in this position of power. Yeah, um, my favorite artist I wanted to bring up um, is she was born in the mid 1700s and her name is Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun. And a lot of people don't really think of her as like a feminist artist, but I kind of do because she took the norms of portrait painting of that time and flipped it on its head. And she got so much hate for it. Um, so she, her dad was an artist, a pastel painter, and then she grew up as a really, really talented artist and people knew that. And so she attended schools for this and her father died. And so she decided on art as a career. And so she got to an academy in Paris and while male artists who were there, they got their own apprenticeships from artists who were living, she was kind of relegated to copying her dad, basically. And so she was pretty much relegated to portraiture while other artists were getting like all these new things like landscape painting. And so I thought that was really interesting. And so she got, she ended up getting a really huge clientele in Paris, mainly women because of her portrayals of them because usually at that time women were depicted as very um what's the word they were emotionless kind of they did not have any smile on their face they were just kind of like there and like pretty made to look pretty but she decided to paint them with real like emotion and 
one of the biggest things about her painting that she got a lot of negative reviews for was the fact that she included teeth in her painting. And so these women were smiling with their teeth and nobody liked it, especially the men. And so her clientele was mainly women. And so she was actually selected by Marie Antoinette to be her official core painter. And she got into an academy in Paris, a bigger one, because she wasn't allowed to sell her work unless she was an academy member. <laughs> um, she would have had to pay exorbitant fees to the guilds of the time. And just like Georgia O'Keeffe, her husband was actually an art dealer and collector. And a lot of people, um, oh, like contribute her success to him. And so I thought that was really interesting when you talked about that. But um, so she was selected as the court painter for Marie Antoinette. And one of her biggest scandals was her painting Marie Antoinette in like it would have been it would have been like today's lingerie, I guess. <laughs> it was just a white like chiffon gown instead of like the big like organza gowns. And I think that's such an interesting story because she debuted it at a salon, which was where they would sell their art, and everybody disliked it and she was forced to take it down and repaint it. And so it's such an interesting and even today, she her success is credited to her vivacity and her appeal as a woman instead of her talent which i think is insane and it's even written by art historians like of the 90s i think that have said this so i think that's actually just and it's hard for me to believe that you know with you know an artist of that caliber that still she's belittled to her body and like her sexuality the fact that she chose to, you know, portray a woman in what would be considered, like, you know, scandalous attire. And, like, that's what she's known for, even though, like, she was just as talented as, like, any of her other, you know, male counterparts. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned she painted women smiling. Because I was actually, I don't remember where I read this at. But I remember when I was reading about the portrait and like painting portraits um, specifically of, you know, European men or men who are, you know, in power, like the hierarchy, um, kings, etc. But there's this strange kind of split of like half of them are smiling, half of them are, you know, very blank faced. Um, but those who had wealth um, and therefore had power, wanted to show themselves smiling because it meant that they could afford to, you know, take care of not only their body, but like their dental care. And so I guess just even her having, you know, the quote unquote audacity to show <laughs> women smiling and that implying that they were able to be self-sufficient and take care of themselves, their bodies and, you know, their dental hygiene was something that probably upset a lot of men who feel as if they worked harder to get where they were at and like have that luxury <laughs> um but is there anyone else that any of you would like to talk about women in the art field i wanted to talk about um annie albers she was married to joseph albers who was one of the first people to um 
be in the Bauhaus, which was a German art school in the early 1900s. Um, Annie Albers was mostly focused on textiles. She did a lot of work with weavings and printmaking. Um, and I just also wanted to bring up that there's such a fine line between thinking of fibers as a craft and a women's craft in particular, rather than um, part of the art world. And I actually have never really considered fibers in the art world until I came to college. And um, my professor was the same way. And so she just kind of always promotes, you know, people realizing that this is, it's not just like a feminine craft, it's, it's, uh, it's an art. Yeah, I like uh, that you actually mentioned that because I remember in class we were talking about um, this kind of unspoken hierarchy of art, like what is considered a high art and low art, um, and we did bring up fibers, um, and to many fibers is considered a low art or a craft, but um, I really liked, um, there was an exhibition I saw while I was in New York, sadly I can't remember which museum it was in, um, but they used 100% like fibers in their exhibition, but they used fibers uh, to create realistic looking paintings almost. So it was still, you know, like your standard, you know, rectangular piece on a wall and it was hung, but it was made out of fibers and it was an image made out of fibers. And then you walk around the room and there's pieces that are meant to to touch so it's on the wall going into the floor and it was way more engaging you know as a viewer than something that has no texture you can't touch that you almost feel as if you're going to ruin if you even touch it you know such as like an oil painting um and it also like goes into you know also the luxury behind art and who has the finances to create certain types of art. Um, and there's like this class system that is in place. So if you want to create a beautiful oil painting and get it professionally, you know, stretched, hung, and all the money that goes into that. And then if you want to make copy prints of all your art, like the expenses behind that and the transportation fees, like everything that goes around with it. Um, I remember um, in Jenny Carlisle's class, she took us to see an exhibition on display um, in the Smith Gallery. I believe it was called Acting Hard. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, that was the name of the exhibition. Um, and one of the artists had actually chose to, instead of taking the original paintings and hanging them on the wall, he actually went to Walmart scanned them onto a blanket and hung the blanket on the wall as his art form because he was talking about you know this hierarchy of art he wanted people to be able to interact with it to feel it to you know use it so once it's done it just doesn't get put in a closet people can use it and he told the story of like not only is it art he was able to you know hand one to um a homeless man who was cold and he now had a blanket that had his face on it. So he painted him, you know, he then 
printed it onto a blanket and gave him a blanket with a painting of himself on it. And just having that like special moment, you know, between that was really, really awesome. Um, and another thing that I noticed all three of you had actually mentioned is all of you mentioned their husbands. All of them. And I was actually thinking about, you know, like Frida Kahlo and like how successful she was as like a female artist and she was so innovative for her time and like she was just, you know, incredible and she, you know, had a mind of her own and she spoke her truth and she was true to herself and she was, you know, not only, um, you know, a feminist, but she also was sort of an icon in the LGBT community because she was, you know, openly, I guess you would say bisexual, bi-curious, sexually fluid. Um, she'd be with both men and women and then would also wear whatever she wanted. She would be, you know, photographed in suits. She'd be photographed in dresses with or without makeup. And she never, you know, conformed to this ideal beauty um, for women, but yet one of the first things you read online is who her husband was. And how she hit, how her meeting Diego Rivera was kind of the thing that set off her artistic career, many people yeah. say. It's like she would have never made it without him. Or the heartbreak without him. Yeah, like they're all, for women who make it, it seems like even if their husband or their partner is not even known, oh, well, it's still credited to him because without that heartbreak that he caused you, you would have never made this masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know? look, at, look at artists like Taylor Swift and Adele who are mm -hmm. who are like um, said to make entire careers out of heartbreak yes. and um, like bad relationships. Mm -hmm. Whereas someone like Sam Smith, who is a male identifying person who essentially makes music of the same themes and motifs as those two, their partner, his partners are never mentioned. His love, his relationships with love are never mentioned. Yeah, that's interesting you actually bring up Sam Smith because that was one of the artists I was actually going to talk about as well is, you know, his advocacy for, you know, gender equality and also, you know, like racial equality as well. And um, Sam Smith actually recently decided um, they are more comfortable using they, them pronouns mm -hmm. um, and they no longer like identify with the masculine. And so that is something that they actually got a lot of flack for here recently um, was exploring their feminine side um so the fact that they are so successful um in that field but are still you know categorized as a quote-unquote male artist or a quote-unquote female artist and they're kind of breaking this mold of you know why why are we categorizing art this way why are we categorizing you know music this way like why is everything categorized by gender um because in a world you know where there is like gender equality gender shouldn't really matter but yet it seems like the importance is upon gender right now because we're still fighting to get there and so sadly it is like heavily being discussed and you, you know those who 
there are people who are like scared to embrace like their feminine being and like their feminine side, you know, for the same reason they were, you know, out of, you know, this hate-filled world that we live in. I think it's so interesting that you mentioned those two artists because I know that in the past, like seeing Taylor Swift and her representation in pop culture, she's kind of been made of a joke for her use of her breakups um, as inspiration for a song, whereas Sam Smith and his or their lyrics have been um, praised mm-hmm. as like high art. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and even going off what you said, I know that like you were saying, Taylor Swift gets so much hate for you know being you know repetitive Mm -hmm. yet what i don't understand is you know people like justin bieber (laughs) what does he write (laughs) almost all of his music um lyrically is very very similar and it's talking you know about this chase this this love um you know his regret in the relationship like so many things and i'm like yet if you know a femme identifying person or a woman is wanting to do the same they're overly emotional you know like why is it that there's this like stigma with women that like okay if i express myself emotionally like then i'm being over dramatic or you know i'm just being sensitive or even hearing stuff of like oh well, she must have been on her period when you messed with her like she's gonna write a song about you because she's sensitive right now like no like we're all human we're all beings and we all feel feelings hopefully most of us do you know not everyone but i just i just don't understand that it's about to stop recording So it's really interesting that you brought up the trope of the over-emotional woman and like her representation in pop culture. I think that really ties back into my artist who I mentioned before, Vijay Lebrun, and how I mentioned this, how she was very much judged for her depiction of women out of the societal norm of the time, which was kind of like emotionless, like a small smile. And yeah, I thought that was a really interesting topic, and I think it really tied into the artists that I had. And even nowadays, with uh, a newer artist, uh, her name's Summer Walker, she just came out with her debut album, Over It, um, and she also just recorded um, her show on NPR, Tiny Desks. Um, and people are going on now ragging about how emotionless she is, despite the fact that she's come out saying that she has social anxieties, and that she cannot perform in front of large groups of people. Um, with the fact that she performs the way that she does, people people essentially embrace a stereotype nowadays of now women need to be more overexpressive with their music and their performances. A lot of them related um, her emotionless performance to people like Beyonce, people like Nicki Minaj, who when they get on stage, they give these bombastic performances, essentially grouping black women and women in general towards being these beasts, these people that scream and hoot and holler into the microphone. Mm-hmm. 
I know that this isn't, I guess you would call, um, a traditional art form, but that's why I'm kind of glad that we have all these different type of people with us here today. You know, like we all have different backgrounds. We all do different things. You know, like, I know like both of you are into painting, you're into fibers, you into, you know, poetry. Um, and we both have, you know, backgrounds of being musicians. Um, I myself am a drummer, but you know, I also like working, you know, behind the scenes, managing art, like the curatorial aspect of things and then creating art as well. But a lot of people also don't consider, um, I guess, you know, the art of makeup or, you know, the art of, you know, performance makeup, theater makeup, drag, like all of these different things that are, you know, very time consuming and, you know, you have to be very good and very careful and have, you know, artistic skill to be able to do these things, yet it's still in right now being viewed as, you know, like you were saying, a craft, a hobby, a, a low art. Um, and a woman I actually admire, you were talking about Summer Walker, um, Jackie Ina, she is an African-American woman and she is on YouTube um, and she um, is like this beauty guru. Um, and she talks all the time about how she hates um, being like uh, the black YouTuber, hates being like the black woman YouTuber at that, um, that like you have people that are calling her like auntie and like stuff like that. And like, they all view her as this character just because the fact that she's a woman um, and that she's black. Um, and so she had like eventually make a video and she was just like, you know, like, I am not your token. You know, I'm more than my skin color. I am more than my gender. Why is it because, you know, I'm a woman and I'm African-American. I'm, you know, seen as loud, as rude, as disrespectful um, for stating my opinions and, you know, for being my authentic self and standing up for what I believe in. Yet, if a man was to do the same, he'd be, you know, uh, cheered on and be was would be called a boss, you know, but yet she wanted to also be considered a boss in what she does. She wanted, you know, to be considered, you know, talented and worthy, um, yet it was just so hard in, like, the field she is and, like, with her, like, identification as well, like, and people gloss over the fact that, you know, she's a veteran. She served, you know, in the military. You know, people forget, you know, that um, she is not a mother and like she's shamed for like not even wanting to have kids and like focusing on her career and all of these things that go along with like being a woman in the art world, you know? And that's another thing is like, we were talking earlier how all of these women, the first thing you notice is their husbands. And then the women who choose to, you know, be career driven in the art world are considered cold and heartless. And like people have trouble relating because automatically we're put into this box and we're put into this very narrow minded, you know, society to where women are almost like cattle. They're meant to breed. That's what they're here for. You breed and then you provide milk. Like, sadly, I've like heard a lot of people say that. It's like, is that all we are? Like, 
in society's eyes and like men's eyes um but yeah that this is that's a good conversation it made me think about that but um i have heard of some of the women that you've mentioned before not all of them kirsten you actually i hadn't heard about the woman you spoke of so it's really interesting to hear you speak on her um and just get to highlight some amazing women who have contributed so much um to the art world um art being you know used in a term to be inclusive of all sorts of arts all forms of arts um but one woman that i personally really admire um is mara riley i know that we mentioned her in reading upon uh class with jenny carlisle together some of us uh know who she is but those who don't um she is an author and a curatorial activist who focuses on feminism um, she has taught art history um, and museum studies at numerous institutions such as Tufts University, Vassar College, New York University, the Pratt Institute, um, and at the Museum of Modern Art. So she's a very, very successful woman, um, but she's well known because um, she launched the first exhibition um, and public programming space in the United States devoted exclusively to feminist art. Um, and that's when she organized multiple exhibitions, um, including uh, the permanent installation of Judy Chicago's The Dinner Party. Um, so, again, the, the Dinner Party is kind of this iconic um, exhibition that many of us do know about. Um, but to give a brief overview, um, The Dinner Party was an installation of a massive ceremonial banquet. Um, it was arranged on a triangular table, um, and so it's this huge triangular dinner table, and there is 39 place settings um, and seats at the table, and each place setting was commemorating uh, an important woman from history and was an important part of the 1970s feminist art movement. Um, and the floor at which the triangular table was sitting on there was 999 women's names inscribed in gold um, on this white tile floor under the table. So the entire exhibition was dedicated to women who oftentimes would be looked over in history who were, you know, very, very important parts. Like I'm actually, if you look closely, Georgia O'Keeffe's name's in there, mm -hmm. Frida Kahlo's name in there. Like a lot of these women we have spoke about today, their names are in here and like many museums have, there's, you know, the book informing pages and pages, um, informing the viewers of who these women are because their voices deserve to be heard. Um, their works deserve um, just as mu much recognition as a man's. And for once, women are getting the spotlight in exhibitions. Um, so know that we have um, highlighted some pretty influential women in the art field. I want to ask you all, What's next for art and feminism? Where do you see it going in the future? Um, as it was brought up earlier, in many art programs, there is a very stark, like, um, there are a lot more women <laughs> in art programs in comparison to men. And even at Appalachian State, I've noticed that a lot, especially as I have become a senior. Now they're at most one or two males in the class which you see all of these women in art programs but you don't hear from many of them afterwards which is disappointing it's still we're still hiding in the male 
canon in the art world, even though there are so many feminist women finally stepping up and making their, like, their stance known, you know? And so I'd like to see all of these women in the art programs finally step up and like make their impact as well, big or small, because there are so many of us and we don't deserve to be in the shadows. No. So I think it'll grow a lot. I'm glad you said that too, because I think that, you know, I can definitely say this for myself that I have let, you know, society standards, you know, pressure me into how I should live my life, you know, as a woman. And one of those is, you know, to be submissive, you know, that it's unladylike to, you know, voice your opinion like that and to, you know, make a fuss about, you know, what's seemingly nothing. Um, so just, you know, standing up, using our voices and not letting society's cultural and like gender norms you know, stop us from speaking um, and stop us from taking a stance. Um, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um, all over. Um, and I think that the art world is just, you know, one platform to highlight that. I totally agree. I interned at an institution this summer and one, the majority of the curatorial staff were women, which I thought was really interesting. Um, however, I remember pretty vividly when one of the men I was working with, he told me, when I told him that I wanted to pursue art, art as a field, like art history as a field, he said, oh, you better be rich. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I think it, I think it was really interesting that he was kind of trying to like, dissuade me from doing this. Mm -hmm. So I I think it I think feminism has a huge place in the future in the art world. And especially with the amount of women like you mentioned in the field or like going into the field. And I think that that um, proportion of women who are going into the graduate studies will definitely grow as time goes on. And bouncing off of that, similarly when I was younger, my dream was always to be an art teacher or something in the art field of some sort. And a male dentist that I had, when I was in middle school, he was like, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be an art teacher. He said, really? You don't want to make any money? <laughs> and I said, um, he said, why don't you do the arts like dentistry? That's the real art in the world. You can make a lot of money this way and doodle on your own. Oh, and that just like, that set a fire in me when I was just yeah. very young to just pursue it and prove them wrong because I, money isn't everything. Yeah, I kind of knew early on that this perception of, you know, the broke artist, mm -hmm. I didn't like. The starving artist. Yeah. Know, as well. uh, I loved art when I was younger. My dad did art and he, I would always like show him my pieces and he'd be like, well, that stinks, but it always, <laughs> it always made me better. So mm -hmm. I liked it in the end. But, um, I did want to pursue a career as a studio artist mm -hmm. and that kind of like, especially back to growing up in like a small town, that's not like a, an option mm -hmm. really. And so it was never presented as an option for me growing up. So I just kind of like grew out of it and I knew that I did not want yeah. to be a starving artist. Mm -hmm. yes. I know um, for me, 
I also grew up in a very small town to where the arts wasn't really a thing you could do. Um, so I know that when I tried to pursue art in high school, I eventually just got to a point to where there really wasn't much left, that there wasn't enough space, there wasn't enough teacher, like there were no one who could really help us. So like they would start combining classes. So there was like four levels you could do and each year I would try and take an art. But once I got to art three, they just started, you know, combining me with art two. Like, oh, you can sit in here and like do this project different. Oh, you're now in art three, you're gonna do the same thing all the way through school. And so I still had that mentality of, um, you know, the starving artist. Mm -hmm. And so I originally went to school um, for graphic design because um, I was like, you know what? It can combine technology and art because like everyone's saying, you know, if you get into the tech industry and in the tech world, like you can make money. Yeah. So I thought that I had to have, you know, technology mm -hmm. to rely on if I wanted to be in like the art field. Um, and that's when I took my first graphic design class. And I was like, you know what? This is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just had, you know, to for once, you know, venture out, be brave, stand my ground and just do what I wanted to do. And I actually realized you can make a lot more money than people think in this field. Uh, yeah. More than graphic design, more than like any of these things these men are trying to tell me to exactly. do. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had a man who believed my degree was for me to be a museum guide. Oh yeah. And that's what people think about when they hear me, a yeah. woman studying art management that's, they're like oh so you're gonna be leading these kids around oh good for you you're gonna be a tour guide essentially mm -hmm. just relegating you to a pretty face that mm -hmm. people can look at exactly exactly what happens whenever i tell yeah. people that i'm an art history major they're like oh so you want to be a teacher yes like, no <laughs> actually no they always try to push us into this field that's you know seemingly more feminine oriented or yeah. seemingly more motherly nurturing yes. you know whatever the case is and i'm like Oh, so you assume I'm going to be, like, working with kids all day. Yeah. What's wrong, like, if I don't want to do that? Like, I can be a boss, and I can be a woman, and yes, I can be your manager. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, that's a thing that people <laughs> need to consider. Yeah, throughout college, I've met dozen, a couple dozen of people, honestly, who, like you, went into graphic design their freshman year because they knew that they loved art but all they knew that they could make money in was graphic design mm -hmm. took a class or two realized they hated it but kept doing it for a while because mm -hmm. they knew that was supposedly where all the money was or art education those were the only two options unless you wanted to pursue fame as an artist which is like unattainable but yeah that same exact thing happened mm -hmm. to me i went in um growing up or like through high school, my high school was a very STEM-oriented school, like science, mm -hmm. technology, engineering, mathematics. Um, and I was pushed kind of into a career in that field. So mm -hmm. I entered Appalachian as a biology major mm -hmm. and I was not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I did two semesters of chemistry and I decided that it really wasn't for me, but I remember um, after my first semester here, I had taken a trip to the Netherlands in Belgium and I got, it was like an art history based trip. So I got to go to all the major museums and that was what kind of like 
that's when I decided that this is something that I really wanted to pursue. Yeah. So I talked to my mom and she, like my family is very like success oriented. We mm-hmm. like try to shoot to be the best that we can be in. And that's how I grew up. There was always like, oh, you should be in the top. Um, mm-hmm. And so my mom was like, no, like you cannot be an art history major. You need to buy a biology major so that you can make money. And so I kept biology and eventually I was, I called a lot of my friends after that second semester and I was like, do you see me as a biologist or do you see me as an art historian? And everybody's an art historian. So. Yeah. And I think that's something that's like pretty interesting too, is, you know, oh, just this aspect of, you were talking about like goal oriented. So whenever people hear that, you know, we're women and we're artists, I feel like people already have this diva complex about us. Like, oh, you want to be famous because they link, you know, the creation of art and thinking that because we can sustain ourselves based on our talent and our artwork, that that means that we're climbing, you know, when in reality, most, you know, artists I know who make a living off their artwork, they're commission based. They live very normal lives. You know, they do work that makes them happy and they have a nine to five, like technically, you know, they work in their studio, they create art or they create seasonal art to sell throughout the seasons, you know, relying heavily on like holidays. And I'm like, a lot of people are content doing that. And some, for some, that is what success looks like is just being able to do what you love and live off of it. You know, like success is like what you make of it. And just to know that like, you do not have to, you know, have your name be known by everyone to be successful, especially in the art world. All right. So I guess going off of this, um, it got me thinking, you know, about what you were saying, standing up, um, reclaiming and just, you know, being a voice for feminism, um, especially through the art world. Um, I personally view feminism as a movement Um, that has been going on for years and will continue to go on until there is true equality amongst all of us. Um, And I think sometimes it's easy to forget what it is we are fighting for every day when you turn on the news and you see all these horrible things going on in the world. It almost diminishes what it is we are doing and makes it seem so minuscule um, that we're trying to, you know, fight for quote-unquote women's rights or that we're trying to, you know, promote feminism when there's so many other things going on in the world. But everything is connected. And I have to keep reminding myself that that feminism in art has its place um, and it can really make a difference in the world we live in, Um, not just in the States, but all over. Um, And that Typically, women are valued based on their bodies and are made to feel as if they have nothing else to offer. Um, But we're here to tell you that it's more to women than just our bodies. Um, We have brains, we have hearts, we have strive um, and goals in life. Um, And I think the the Gorilla Girls specifically do a really good job um, creating art, which reminds the public of this. Um, 
if you are unfamiliar with the Gorilla Girls, um, here's what they have to say about themselves on their website bio. Um, the Gorilla Girls are feminist activist artists. Over 55 people have been members over the years, some for weeks, some for decades. Our anonymous factor keeps the focus on the issues and away from who we might be. We wear gorilla masks in public and use facts, humor, and outrageous visuals to expose gender and ethnic bias as well as corruption in politics, art, film, and pop culture. We undermine the idea of a mainstream narrative by revealing the understory, the subtext, the overlooked, and the downright unfair. We believe in an intersectional feminism that fights discrimination and supports human rights for all people and all genders. We have done over 100 street projects, poster, and stickers all over the world, including New York, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Mexico City, Istanbul, London, Rotterdam, Shanghai, just to name a few. We also do projects and exhibitions at museums attacking them for their bad behavior, discriminatory practices, right on their own walls, including our 15, 2015 stealth projection um, about income inequality and the super rich hijacking art on the facade of the Whitney Museum in New York. Our retrospectives in Madrid, Guerrilla Girls, 1985 to 2015, and our U.S. traveling exhibition, Guerrilla Girls, Not Ready to Make Nice, have attracted thousands. We could be anyone. We are everywhere. What's next? More creative complaining. New projects in London, Paris, Cologne, and more. So, <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> um, so, what are some of your thoughts after hearing that bio? So I really like the anonymous factor because like you were talking about before how men or people who when we tell we want careers in this field and we want to be successful in this field, they assume that we just want to be famous. And I like that anonymity factor. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like Banksy, for instance, no one knows mm-hmm. if it's a male, a female, who it is, if it's a group of people, one singular person, the mystery is half of the success, you know, mm-hmm. and half the statement. Who's making these giant statements all around the cities and why are they doing it? Will we ever know who it is? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know another thing that I've heard is that these people are actually, a lot of them are very higher ups, you know, they're curators at these very very well-known museums and institutions you know they're very prestigious artists like these are well-known people who don't want to be known you know because some of them their jobs and livelihood depend on it but they're fighting from within um but i think it's actually awesome that they're doing this because I remember I actually saw a piece, um, it was in the Gorilla Girls Talk Back, um, but it, they made it on in 1989, um, and it was a woman uh, laying naked sideways, um, kind of like laying out like a model, and she had a gorilla head on. Um, and it says, do women have to be naked to get into the Met Museum? 
And then under it, it has a statistic saying, less than 5% of the artists in the modern art section are women, but 85% of the nudes are female. And this is kind of the work they do. Um, and I remember actually when I traveled to New York, this particular uh, <laughs> um, screen print on paper was actually hanging up in the Brooklyn Museum. And I had just got back from the Met Museum. And I was like, wow, it's literally in the same city and it's destroying the other one and calling them out, um, you know, on their bad behavior. Um, and that's what they, you know, are proud they're able to do is be, you know, women in the art world and have the power and have the access to finally call out these um, huge institutions and make a difference. And this was in 1989. Um, and I know ever since then, um, there's people within the Met Museum actually keeping tabs on the statistics over the years mm -hmm. to see if it gets better. And let me tell you, it has slightly gotten better, but I mm -hmm. think it's still under 20%. Okay. Like, ooh, it just is so ridiculous to me. Um, but anyways, I want to thank you all again for joining me here. Um, I hope that I can have you all again. All right, and good night. <laughs>